Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Time for Baldry's Beat with Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Happy Monday. Let's talk about the Canada-U.S. border restrictions, and we're anticipating what Justin Trudeau here at the bottom of the hour is going Mm -hmm. to have something to say about the Canada-U.S. border. What do you anticipate? Yeah, 10.30 our time. He's already announced after a call with the Premiers last week that uh, the anticipation is to open the border, in his words, mid-August. I've heard from some B.C. government officials they interpret that more as uh, August 21st. Interesting, though, he also says only open to people with full vaccinations from the U.S., and only the U.S. right now. So I just checked the numbers, of, and I've got a column out today on this. Uh, there's the, the vaccination efforts in the United States have ground to a halt in many places. They've hit a plateau about a month ago. They're stuck at six, around uh, just over 50% uh, double doses, and that number hasn't moved tremendously for some time. It took about a month for that to move 10 percentage points. So by the time we get to mid-August, it'll likely be at about 60% if the trend continues. That means about 40% of American citizens won't be eligible to cross the border. Uh, and a lot of American states, you know, the, the northeast states, uh, west coast states have relatively strong vaccination numbers. But the further south you go, the fewer people you find vaccinated. I actually just looked at Missouri. Ed Young, the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, journalist in the Atlanta Monthly, has a great piece out last couple of days looking at Missouri, who uh, infectious disease experts and other health officials predict is just going to go through an absolute disaster because so many people down there are refusing to get vaccinated. Once you take St. Louis out of the picture and you look at the rural areas of Missouri, you see very low vaccination rates in the 20%, something like 38 counties with less than 30% vaccination rates. Okay, so that's a lot of Americans who would be ineligible to cross the border into Canada, presuming that the government will demand or require double vaccinated, fully vaccinated yeah. people can only uh, cross. What about a test, though? Well, you got to show a negative other, test, too? That's that's the other thing we yeah. don't know yet. And it'll be interesting if the Prime Minister uh, touches on this. There have been other countries. It's a sort of a dual requirement, double doses and proof of a, a PCR test that you tested negative for COVID-19. Do you have to show that upon entry or do you get tested upon entry? I've talked to BC health officials about this who raised questions. We're talking not just a few, uh, relatively few tests as we see in airports. Land crossings are much more voluminous in number. And does this turn a, the proverbial two-hour wait at the border into a seven-hour wait because oh. everybody's got to get tested? We don't know oh. that yet. So that's one of the questions we're going to be looking to see if the prime minister can answer that today. But a lot of interest in opening the border. But again, seeing the low vaccination rates in the United States, I'm not sure a lot of Canadians are going to want to fly or, or cross the border to go into into the States. Maybe you take a quick gas run and grocery <laughs> run down to Bellingham because there's high vaccination numbers there. The further south you go in the United States, the more danger you're in. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was just talking to my wife the other day. It would be fun to do a little trip to Seattle. And I, and I had this dream. You and I were just talking off air. The last couple of years, I started thinking, like, wouldn't it be cool to go down to New Orleans and eat some barbecue no, and hear some go. music? Wow. That's one of the lowest vaccination rates in the entire country. So you wouldn't go there? I wouldn't you go just... anywhere near some of these places. Again, I, you and I have both been double-dosed. We're full-on um, immunized, uh, 14 days post-second dose. But 
as we've seen, what we call breakthrough cases are people who have been double-dosed, full vaccinated, yeah. and still get COVID-19. Sure. The Delta variant is more transmissible. It's more infectious. It can lead to more severe illness. doesn't mean there's, it's more lethal, but it doesn't make but you, if you but 100% if you, uh, preventable. Right. So I heard someone the other day say it's it's kind of like wearing a seatbelt. You can have a seatbelt on and still and still be still severely injured or, or be, you know, yep. even get killed in, and, in a car crash. But, I mean, if you are double vaccinated and you do get COVID, the vaccine prevents you from getting seriously ill, though, in most cases. For, yeah, for the most cases, yeah. almost entirely all yeah. the cases. So the last data we got from Center for Disease Control was something like 2% of the cases uh, still get, can get COVID-19 in terms of immunized people. But in terms of hospitalizations and deaths, it's almost entirely people aged 80 and over. Okay, we're going to play close attention to what Trudeau has to say here at the bottom of the hour with regard to the Canada-U.S. border. The current restrictions on the Canada-U.S. border expire Wednesday. this Wednesday, okay? So two days from now. So we'll see what happens after that. Now, let's listen to Trudeau here speaking earlier on why the border remains closed right now. Here's Trudeau. We're still seeing cases uh, across the country, and we want to get them down. At the same time, uh, we also know we have to hit our targets of uh, 75% vaccinated with a first dose, uh, at least 20% vaccinated at the second dose uh, before we can start loosening things up. Because even a fully vaccinated individual uh, can pass on uh, COVID-19 to someone who is not vaccinated. Uh, and that means we have to really make sure that not only uh, people who are fully vaccinated can travel, but that the communities uh, to which they will return are not at risk. Okay, that's Trudeau speaking a few weeks ago about mm-hmm. the border restrictions. So the border restrictions in place until Wednesday, and then you expect that those would likely be extended into August. That's in, right? That's the expectation. After the call with the premiers last week, uh, they talked both John Horgan and um, Justin Trudeau and other premiers talked about an August reopening to, again, fully vaccinated people, which, uh, again, the numbers for fully vaccinated continue to climb. But at a very slow pace in the United States, our numbers of sec- second doses are climbing much more rapidly. We're now ahead of the U.S. in terms of Im- immunizations. That's really amazing that we're ahead of the Americans now after we were so far behind because of the vaccine shortage at the start of this. Yeah, they've got a lot more vaccine um, hesitancy in the United States and also yeah. some outright anti-vaccination sentiments that are really creeping up particularly. And again, you know, I've talked about this before, place a political map over the states and place it over the vaccination map and you'll see how much correspondence there is and similarities there is between the trump red states and low vaccination numbers and the democrat blue states high vaccination okay well we do have anti-vaxxers and vaccine hesitancy in in canada as well now have a listen to this keith i'll get your thoughts on it this is sarah otto from uh, the uh, ubc about talking to people who about getting vaccinated to help spread stop the spread of this Delta variant. Here's what she had to say to Simi Sarah. This is one of the safest vaccines we've ever had. These mRNA vaccines, they're not even a whole virus. They're this teeny tiny little part of a virus. And and we've had, um, you know, just fantastic success rolling this out. So any anything we can do to just help people get comfortable with the idea of getting vaccinated and helping them get an appointment um, is what we can do as a community. Because right now, we're, um, those, the people that are unvaccinated and there are many, many reasons that they may be hesitant. Um, that's who I'm worried right. about. Okay, but some people are really hardcore, and they're not going to get the vaccine no matter how, well, how much you sweet-talk them. Yeah, there's the hardcore. There's also those who say, oh, I'm not anti-vaccination. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm worried about these vaccines. Who are, apply- who are overthinking this and suddenly getting their education from some obscure Internet website, thinking that that's educating them over 
the experts uh, who've got the data here to say that these vaccines are safe. It's interesting. If you look at the vaccination tables, the report I get every day, Metro Vancouver, almost every community is over 80%, over over 85% in many cases, with some exceptions. North Chilliwack, North Mission, still uh, relatively lower numbers. And then you get into the interior, and that's where it looks a little worrisome. Peace River, for example, Peace River Rural, um, which, again, is only you know a few thousand people, is in the 30%. Uh, Dawson Creek and Fort St. John, the major cities up there, have just barely crossed 50%, and, they, and they're really going up very slowly, 56%, I think, for Fort St. John, Enderby, Vanderhoof, Creston down in the Kootenays. A lot of interior towns, North Okanagan, Rutland, for example, are really struggling to get their numbers up, and that's that's been a challenge. Okay, we're watching that one closely. Let me get your thoughts real quickly on an issue we talked about earlier on the show today, Keith, and that is the Massey Tunnel Replacement Project. Mm. Now, it's long overdue. Remember that the previous Liberal government started to build that new bridge to replace the Massey Tunnel. The NDP put the brakes on that. They said maybe they would build a new bridge, or maybe they would build an, another new tunnel mm-hmm. to replace the congested Massey Tunnel. Now... There is a plan, a business plan has been submitted to the federal government for funding on this project, and it includes a preferred option. So it says in this plan whether it should be a bridge or another tunnel. This has not been released to the public. Now, I spoke to Ian Payton, the Liberal MLA, who's been beating this like a bass drum for years, and here's what he had to say about this now, Ian Payton, this morning. You know, there's contracting companies actually got hammered when they said, no, the, the, the project is killed. It's done. People had to be laid off. Then the NDP say, well, let's play around. We'll we'll put $40 million into improving the lighting. And that's all we've seen so far is $40 million to improve the lighting in the tunnel. And now they've announced that they're going to spend a bunch of money on the Richmond side. Do you see politics here? The Richmond side to improve the interchange uh, at the Steveson Highway on the the Richmond side of the tunnel. Okay, it's because there's NDP riding over there in Richmond is his point new, there. New NDP turf in Richmond, yeah. very valuable to them. So not sure what the preferred option is. No reason to think it's still not a second tunnel, but who knows. Um, interesting, Justin, when Justin Trudeau was out here talking subway, I'm pretty sure um, Transportation Minister Rob Fleming and others took the opportunity to have a chat with him about the Massey Tunnel Replacement Project uh, because, again, it's no better time now to access federal money, both in the midst of a pandemic and on the eve of what increasingly looks like a election campaign that's probably going to be uh, twinned in timing to the opening of the border. Okay, I suspect you will see Trudeau back here announcing money for a Massey Tunnel replacement project, whether it's another tunnel or a bridge. Keith Baldry is my guest. It's Baldry's Beat, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Steve in Vancouver. Hi, Steve. Hi, hi, Mike. Hi, Keith. Uh, two quick points. Um, let's get these borders open immediately to double vaccinated Americans. Let's start immediately as a test with uh, expanding what is deemed essential service. So anybody with a work permit who is legally allowed to enter Canada from the United States can get here and start supporting uh, the economy again. Um, and my other quick uh, thought that maybe somebody can look up to, I, I realize the U.S. vaccination double vax rate is quite low, I bet you it is parallel to the number of U.S. Uh, citizens that actually hold a valid passport. Hmm. Uh, there, there could be a correlation yeah. there. Uh, Keith, your no, thoughts? It could very well be. Um, you know, not all Americans travel. Uh, yeah. And I think the travel numbers closer to the border you live, you're likely more likely to cross the border. 
and and the north states have higher vaccination rates than the southern states. So the, the caller's right in, in terms of that. In terms of essential service uh, workers, there's still up until, as of now, as has been for more than a year, for months now, many people still cross the border. I looked at the numbers yesterday, about 140,000, 150,000 U.S. plated vehicles a month travel into Canada. Those are primarily commercial truck operators, healthcare workers who, who live who go back and forth, all deemed to be essential service uh, workers. So the number of essential service workers is still significant. Now, how does that compare to the regular uh, crossings? In December 2019, more than 700,000 vehicles wow. crossed the border. So yeah. you can see it's uh, dropped by uh, three quarters. So it's uh, that number will probably not go back up to 700,000, it, but it's going to be more Americans, but just not as many as we saw pre-pandemic. Okay, we'll see what Trudeau has to announce here in just a few minutes. Let's go to Dennis in New West. Hi, Dennis. Morning. Uh, you guys, uh, not you guys, but they, they missing the point on the bridge or tunnel. It doesn't matter which one you build. The fact of the matter is when you divert, you could have a six-lane bridge, you could have a six-lane tunnel. When you bring bring all those people into the Oak Street Bridge and Night Street Bridge, mm-hmm. it's just going to jam up. I don't know where you're going to, there's going to be the same amount of traffic, if not more, and it's it's going to be gridlocked there. So I don't know how you're going to solve that problem. Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, that, that came up at the beginning of the whole conversation here. The different choke point suddenly emerges with, with more vehicles uh, plowed through there. Oak Street Bridge is just a bit of a nightmare. I mean, the potholes on that bridge over the years have been quite uh, staggering. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a gong show on there, and you put that many more vehicles in there, the color's right. And that, really, that point, uh, to my knowledge, wasn't really answered before by transportation officials, how you, how you get beyond creating just simply another problem. Right. Do you th- so you think it will be another tunnel? You think that's what they want to build? Yeah, not a bridge. I've, I've seen no signal to suggest it's going to be anything different, but uh, who knows? I mean, obviously, we're going to have to get to the bottom of that. It's just relatively breaking news that a plan's gone to Ottawa. Yeah, 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Peter in Vancouver. Hey, Peter. Good morning. Yes, I'd be interested to get your opinion on this uh, call for a state of emergency regarding the wildfires. On the one hand, we have the the Premier saying that all resources that uh, can be are being made available, and he will call it if the experts ask for it. So are either one of you aware of any potential advantage of a state of emergency were called? What more could possibly be available? I'll just hang up and wait for your answer. Yeah, Thanks. so there's a difference of opinion on this, obviously, between the opposition who had been in government before, saying, well, when we were in government, we called it a state of emergency for these reasons. Uh, and Mike Farmworth and his officials say, have a, have a different opinion. Not sure exactly uh, which side is right here. I still think it's inevitable that we're going to have a state of emergency. As more and more local uh, regional districts and mayors and such call for these emergencies with, with their understanding that it, there would be more access to resources and then currently is the case i think the political pressure on the ndp government is going to be quite uh, quite something well we have had states of emergency declared in british columbia due to wildfires in the past but mm-hmm. interestingly enough the government is saying even though there were states of emergencies declared earlier they did not leverage any of the powers available to the minister think, under those under those uh, those yeah. declarations i think well, the key thing to keep an eye on is evacuations uh, yeah. not hectares burned but evacuations and towns threatened. As long as those continue to go up in number, and they're right now behind the levels of 2017. That's what brought the state of emergency, I think, so quickly when the NDP came in in 2017 was the number of people evacuated. And we're, we're right now don't have those numbers. So keep an eye on the evacuation number and the interface fire number. Pressure growing on government, though, to call that state of emergency for sure. Let's go to Al on the line in Surrey. Hi, Al. You got 30 seconds. You go quick, okay? About 10 years ago, the province had an open house on building a bridge. They said the soil 
uh, underneath any supports for bridge or tunnel was 300 feet deep. They would have to drive piles 100 feet to support any supports for a bridge or tunnel. Earthquake, they'll never drive piles under the tunnel. It'll never happen. Okay, thanks a lot for the call. Well, they actually started building the bridge and started actually sinking some of those pilings before they, they canceled they it. They did, and that made the bridge so long because it had to go back so far to uh, to allow that support to, to be built. But the issue of the soil is an issue. Thanks, Keith. Very soft. Okay. All right, that's Keith Baldry. That's Baldry's Beat. Didn't get through on the open line. Phone the buzz line, 604-331-BUZZ. When we come back, should gas-powered leaf blowers be banned in Vancouver? That's next.